So Holy Spirit, help us to understand your word and live out of it. Lord, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hello, 945. Good morning. Good to have all of you here. Thank you for being here. There's a lot of you here today. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, we'll start with a question. Have you ever been maybe at a party or maybe in a cafeteria at work or something like that and heard your name as a kind of a, a little snap of someone else's, snapshot of someone else's conversation and you kind of hear your name? What do you do in that moment, right? Do you kind of tune in a little more and what are they saying about me? When I was a, a, a kid, I used to sneak up the stairs at night when I was supposed to be asleep to kind of listen in on my parents talking about me and my siblings to their friends. Uh, and sort of what's interesting is my parents watch every sermon I give, so that's the only way they find out the bad stuff I did as a kid. So surprise, Mom and Dad, I heard everything you all said. And, and most, of it, most of what they said was good, and, and the rest was just true. Um, and I figured that if I listened in on their conversation about me, I would kind of find out what they really thought about me and kind of what they hoped for me. That's what's happening in that passage that we just read. We're overhearing a conversation. We're doing a sermon series on Jesus' bucket list during the last week of his life. By Palm Sunday, he knows he only has five more days to live. But what he chose to do with those five days, borrow a donkey, you know, yell at religious leaders, different stuff like that, kind of shows how compellingly, radically counterculture he is and how he plans to give us harder but bigger, richer, deeper, radically compelling counterculture lives as well. And one of the very last things Jesus does is he prays for his disciples, but not, but not just them, us by extension, because he says, my prayer is not for them, the disciples, alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which is you and me. Now, this is an amazing moment. The Bible says that God, what God is, is a relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is a moment of intense closeness where the second person of the Trinity is talking to the first person of the Trinity via the mediation of the Spirit. And what they're talking about is you and me. And it shows what Jesus wants for us, what his hopes are for us, what his desires are for us. But it also, also shows just how much Jesus loves us. In fact, if you substitute your name every place Jesus mentions the disciples, you kind of get a sense of how much he loves you. And so through the whole sermon, I'm going to, whatever Jesus says the disciples, I'm going to put my name in there. But you should insert your name. You'll see a blank on the screen. Just put your name in there. Jesus prays things like, I have revealed you to Scott. He was yours, but you gave him to me. We are a gift from the Father to the Son. Do you think of yourself as a gift to Jesus? Jesus is a gift to you, but do you think about it the reverse? He says, I want Scott to be with me where I am and to see my glory. I believe Jesus saw your face when he prayed this prayer. So every day this week, you know, this is your homework. Take a few minutes every day to read this chapter out loud with your name in it to kind of get a sense of God's love for you. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, do that, okay? But that does not mean that this sermon is over. Having said that, okay, you still have to keep listening. And this, this is really, this is the real Lord's Prayer. You know, we think of the Lord's Prayer as the one that starts, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But the Bible never calls that the Lord's Prayer. This is the real one. This is the one Jesus actually prayed. It's sort of like a true story about a pastor who was doing a team chapel service for the Chicago Bears. And this was back when Mike Ditka was the, was the coach. And he asked William Perry, some of you might remember him, huge defensive lineman. He was nicknamed the Fridge. 
right? So Ditka asked the fridge to recite the Lord's Prayer before the pastor got up to speak. Well, the team's quarterback, Jim McMahon, was, was sitting right next to the pastor, and he said, I'll bet you 50 bucks the fridge does not know the Lord's Prayer. And the pastor said, you're on. And then he said, I, I, I can't believe I'm actually betting on the Lord's Prayer, right? But, so everyone bowed their head, and the fridge starts out, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Slowly, Jim McMahon kind of starts to shake his head, and he takes out a $50 bill and hands it to the pastor and says, I can't believe the fridge knows the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> That's you're gonna, probably the only part of this sermon you're going to remember. But anyway, <laughs> this, the one we just read, that's the real Lord's Prayer. And it's a very difficult passage. The language is very mysterious, very hard to understand, which is why I've never preached on it before, because it's hard. But it's also super significant. Right? This is Jesus' last chance to talk to his disciples. And, you know, the, the temptation might be to slip in a couple of more teaching points, you know, in the, in the prayer. You know how pastors sometimes do that in prayer? It's like, oh, crap, I forgot to say something. Oh, I'll just put it in the prayer, right? And they kind of pray out the third point, right? <laughs> That's not, yeah, you've seen people do that, right? <laughs> I, I try never to do that. Um, that. That is not what's happening here. This is what Jesus wants to leave you and me. This is his will, his desire for us, that we would have that harder but bigger, deeper, richer, radically compelling counterculture life. And this prayer refutes the American Christian heresy, which I regrettably sometimes fall into. And that heresy says, Jesus' job is to make me successful, happy, and safe. That's Jesus' job. Now, that's heresy. Right? Now, it's true, Jesus wants the best for us. He says here, I say these things so that Scott, and you're, you're going to put your name in that blank, so that Scott may have the full measure of my joy within him. And the Greek word there for joy doesn't mean just a little bit, but a lot. It's the difference between a cup of water and a well of joy, which is different than happiness, which is based on our happenings. But the heresy that American Christians sometimes slap on that is we put our definition of what that bigger, deeper, richer, better life is going to look like. Success, popularity, comfort, pleasure. That's your job, Jesus. Get it for me. But Jesus' bucket list gets us to the same end, joy, but by a radically different route than our cultures. Namely, four different roads to joy. You kind of need all of them. Four roads to joy. Glorification sanctification, unification, and participation. Except that last one doesn't really rhyme. So if you want to think of it as participation, go ahead. <laughs> now those are big words. Let me unpack them. Glorification, what does that mean? Jesus uses the word glory all over this prayer. He says, I want Scott to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Earlier, Jesus said to his disciples, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Another way to translate the Greek of that verse would be, let them see your good deeds so they form a right opinion about God. To glorify something is to make it seen, to make it known, to make it understood. So by that definition, all of us are glorifying something all the time. This week, what did you glorify? Based on how you acted and behaved, what did you glorify this week? To glorify is to make known how people form a right opinion about God. The other thing glorify means is to worship something. And as human beings, we do not have the option of whether to worship or not. We are all going to worship. The question is, what? You don't believe me? Go to a rock concert. 
right? There's some worship going on there. Or, 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 or a Seahawks game. I love going to Seahawks games, right? I love the cheering. I love all the excitement, all the noise, all the energy. But if you're not careful, that can start to almost verge on worship. Right? Go to a Mariners game. Well, it's different there, but you know, <laughs> not this year. I said that last year, but not this year. What you spend your time, your money, your energy on, that's what you worship. So what did you spend your time, money, and energy on this week? Because that's what you're worshiping. Don't have the option of what, whether or not to worship. You're going to worship. But what you worship, that's really important. You know why? Because what you worship can spell the difference between freedom and bondage. So, for instance, let's say you are really depressed. Not just a little bit. Super discouraged. Super dis- depressed. You didn't get a promotion. Or that relationship didn't work out. Or you gained 10 pounds. What's controlling you in that moment? Who's Lord? And you're like, who's your daddy now, right, in that moment? Your image, the relationship, the job. Now, all of those things are good things, and they deserve some of our time and some of our attention, absolutely. But if we make them ultimate things, they begin to control us. They begin to rule over us. There's a story from way back in the 30s about an actress named Louise Rainier. And nobody remembers her now, but she actually won two Academy Awards until the head of the studio, MGM, Louis Mayer, started casting her in really lousy roles. And this was before actors had a choice in in their parts. And so she left, and Louis Mayer was furious, and, and he was so enraged, he said to her, I made you, and I can unmake you. And she said, Mr. Mayer, you didn't make me. God did. You hear the freedom in that? My job, that relationship, my finances, they didn't make me. God did. They aren't the boss of me. They're not what I glorify. They're not what I worship. They don't control me. I belong to God. Freedom. Second thing Jesus prays is for our sanctification. He says, for Scott, I sanctify myself that he too may be truly sanctified. Everything Jesus does is for your sanctification. And one of the things that word means is to set something apart for a specific use. That's kind of one of the definitions of that word. You, for instance, right now are sanctifying those chairs by sitting in them because that's their proper use. Jesus wants to make us fit for our proper use, the one he designed us for. Not, 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 not to be like someone else. The world doesn't need any more someone else's. The world needs you, you in your proper uses, you the way God designed you to be. My family and I spent Christmas break in Yosemite and uh, with Christina's family, and, and one day we're going for a hike, and I, mean, I love the outdoors. I just, they're fantastic, and my kids, however, are not so sure that they like the outdoors, and, and at one point, we could see Half Dome, and there's a picture of it now. I mean, it's just, it was almost like it was covered with snow. It was beautiful, and we're on this hike, and I said to my son, man, look at Half Dome. Isn't that amazing? And my son said, no, nah, not really. It's, it's, it looks like it's like half the dome it could have been. Because of the sins you've sinned, we've sinned, because of the sins that have been sinned against us, we're like half the people we could have been. We're like half the people God designed us to be. So Jesus prays to make us fully us. All your strengths, even all your weaknesses can be sanctified. There's a guy in our church who struggles with extreme anxiety disorders. He just, these fears get stuck in his head and he can't get them out of his head. But one of the things he wants to do with that is write a children's book for kids who struggle with anxiety as well, he wants to call it sticky brain to kind of help explain to them what they're going through so that they don't feel so alone. Now, God doesn't cause this man's anxiety. On the contrary, he actually helps relieve the anxiety. But God can sanctify even something like that for a redemptive purpose. Glorification, 
sanctification. The third road to joy that Jesus prays for us is unification. He prays, may they be one as we are one so that they may be brought to complete unity. In other words, that we would experience the kind of community that the triune God has within himself. 99% of what you need for ultimate joy, spiritual growth, and to make a difference in the world, 99% of what you need for all of that is found in the presence of Jesus and in Christian community. You just, you cannot grow without community. Nor will we be pathfinders in a post-Christian culture who help to heal the culture as lone rangers. We're going to have to do that together. Now, that is challenging for us in a lot of different ways. I mean, for starters, our culture is very individualistic, works against community. And then here in this church, we kind of tend to be kind of a shy bunch. You know, just kind of being honest. I mean, maybe that's maybe why some of you actually chose a Presbyterian church, right? It's like, oh, no one's going to talk to me there. This is awesome, right? And I confess my own complicity in this. I mean, as I've told you before, I'm actually an extrovert. That kind of shocks people. I'm actually an extreme extrovert, but I'm also shy. What that means is I really want to be with you, but I'm scared of you. Right? So it's a weird kind of little combo. You just don't want to be in here. That's just what you need to know from that. I'm working on it, though. I'm working on it because we need connection and community. When I first came here, I was in a small group with a couple of other men from this church, and after we met for a while, we decided to go to dinner together with our wives. And we went, we had a really good time, and at the end of the dinner, one of the guys in the group said, well, this wasn't nearly as awful as we all thought it was going to be, was it? And we're like, what? That's rude. He goes, no, think of, you know, honest, be honest, you guys were dreading this, weren't you? And we're like, yeah, a little, we were. But it wasn't, which is the point. Community is how we grow. It's a road to joy. Glorification, sanctification, unification, fourth road to joy, participation. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world. That is an amazing statement. As the Father sent Jesus into the world, I have sent Scott into the world. Jesus is saying, you know what, I want them to have the fullness of my joy, and I am a man on a mission, so they need to have a mission too, because mission is a road to joy. And this radically goes against the American Christian heresy that says Jesus' job is to make me successful and happy and safe. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take Scott out of the world, but that you protect him from the evil one. Well, that's a disappointing prayer. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? You're not, you're not praying that I'm happy? You're not praying that I'm successful? You're not praying that I'm safe? Isn't that your job, Jesus? See, so much of American Christianity is, you know, Jesus, help me, fix me, bless me, make me successful, and build the walls higher, man. Keep that world out. Keep it. It's dangerous out there. Let's be, build it up higher. You know, we want to be safe, 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 safe. As you know, my wife writes books, and her first book had this beautifully redemptive Christian ending, but the, one of the main characters was a troubled teen who'd had a really rough background, and you know, didn't use nice words because that's just realistic, right? Well, no secular publisher would touch the book because it was too Christian. No Christian publisher would touch the book because of the language. So, you know, so she published it herself. One of the Christian publishers, their website was fantastic. It had this list of things that could not be in a book that they published. Things like no cussing, no smoking, no dancing, no fighting, no plot, apparently. And at the end of this list, it said, or anything else that might leave a moral residue. What the hell is that? Like, what, what's, a, what's a moral residue, right? Like, Christina said, do my books leave a residue? And I said, oh, yeah. You know, but in a good way, dear. This is my objection to so much of Christian art. This is why Christian art is so lousy most of the time. A world without the need of grace. 
That is not our Lord. That is not Jesus. When we do that, we reduce the power of Jesus down to a sentimental Hallmark card. Christianity is not an insulating religion. Of all religions, it confronts difficult realities. It takes sin seriously all the way to death on a cross. Born in a manger, filled with manure, spent his entire ministry with thieves and prostitutes and foul-mouthed fishermen, died on a hill where the Romans dumped their garbage and was raised from the dead, all for you and all for me. Jesus doesn't avoid harsh realities. He goes right into the middle of them to redeem, renew, and restore. That is what is so amazing and so compelling about Jesus. Every other God in every other religion kind of lectures us from a privileged position. But only one got down in the mess with us and died for us and suffered for us. Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, many men who would be God, but only one God who would be man. That is what is so very compelling about Jesus. What am I to do with some meditating guru attaining his own flippant inner peace? Like that doesn't help me. Jesus went into a war zone to redeem and restore. That's the God I want because that's the God I need. And that's the kind of people Jesus sends us to be. This is why as a church we need Eastside Academy in this church. Because, you know, not all of those teens, but some of those teens have had some really a rough background. We need them in this church so that we can be in it with them. That is going to be how we find joy and grow as Christians. You know, Jesus in this prayer, he doesn't say, oh, Lord, I pray that thou mightst wrap thy fragile little followers in bubble wrap. (laughs) Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Sorry, American Christian heresy, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus says, I don't pray that you make Scott's life easy. Just help him not to choose the devil's coping strategies, as he seems so apparently apt to do sometimes. Don't take him out of the world, but remind him that that, 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 that I am with him. And that through me he is more than conqueror. I have overcome the world. I have called him by name. He is mine. He is more than conqueror through me. Father, remind him of that. We are sent into the world, but we are not of the world. We're not seduced by it. Neither are we afraid of it, nor do we get all judgmental and disdainful about it. We just winsomely are in the world trying to bring up there, down here. Sometimes that's very costly, and sometimes it's just kind of part of our daily simple sacrifices and do that in our daily routine, which Jesus says is one of the roads to not a cup of joy, but a deep down well of joy. For years, a friend and I have gotten together every Thursday afternoon, every single Thursday afternoon at the Tap House in Bellevue, which actually just just closed. And we both work here, and uh, Friday is our day off. So it's kind of the end of the week time to laugh and have some fun, but also community and push a little deeper and get beyond news, weather, and sports. Well, over the years, we got to know some of the wait staff at the, at the tap house. They knew we worked at a church, and so sometimes they'd ask us religious questions, or, and we would sometimes bring them CDs of our, of our worship band. Often, we would end up being a listening ear to one of the wait staff that kind of just needed to talk through a, a problem or an issue that they were having. A few times, we prayed for them, and on occasion, some of them have come here to church. Now, we weren't abusing alcohol, right? One and done, that's always my policy. And, and, and if you can't do just one, then you probably better do none. So we weren't abusing alcohol. We weren't of the world. But we were in the world trying to bring a little bit of up there down here. Well, after a while of going here, we di- going to the tap house, years actually, we discovered that if you tried 160 different kinds of beer, you got a plaque at the tap house. <laughs> so that became our goal. 
160 different beers. Now, I need to stress it took a long time to achieve it. Okay, it's not like we knocked that out in a week, okay? But, but eventually we did, and so they asked us what, they, what we wanted to have written on our plaque. And we said, Scott and Chris, pastors of the Tap House. <laughs> so that's what they wrote on the plaque, and they put it right there on the bar. I, I was so proud of my plaque, man. Like, whenever I was there, I'd like, I'd put, there's my plaque, that's my plaque, right? There's my plaque. Right? But then they closed the Tap House, and they did not give me my plaque. So every time I drive by there, I'm like, my plaque, it's in there, but I don't. Now, I don't have this kind of awesome story about how one of the waitresses became a Christian and asked to be baptized, so I sprinkled her with some Guinness stout. You know, I, well, that'd be really cool, wouldn't it? Wish I had that story. But I, I think we glorified Jesus. I think we helped people form a more right opinion about Jesus in that place. And I know I was blessed by being part of their lives. Sometimes I, I just, sometimes I just wanted to talk to my friend. I mean, they were Thursday afternoon, man. I just wanted to talk to my friend. And then one of the wait stra- staff would want to talk through an issue that they had. Right? But it always felt so good to get out of myself and be part of healing someone else's world. Not a huge fac- sacrifice. Just, just kind of part of our weekly routine in the world but not of it. And now that it's closed, we've had to find a new place, and so we've picked Tavern Hall. We've been there a, a couple, of, couple of times, and so last week I asked one of the waitresses, what do you think we do for a, a living? And she, she looked at me, she pointed at me, she goes, you do some kind of mentory Christian-y thing. And I said, very good, that made me feel good. Somehow I'm showing Jesus, somehow, <laughs> right, there. And, and, and I pointed to my friend and I said, well, so does he. We both work at a church, but the important thing for you to remember is I'm his boss. In the Bible, Abraham has a powerful experience of God. Here's God say, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless all nations. Now get out into that world and bless it. Moses, here's God say, I know you're feeling lousy about yourself, Moses, because you're a murderer and a failed failed prince, but I'm going to use you to set a nation free. So get out into that world. Elijah has a powerful experience of God in a cave when he's depressed and discouraged and suicidal, and he hears God say, I am with you. Now get out. God never heals anybody except that he sends them out and nobody ever finds ultimate joy until they get out, out of ourselves, out of our comfort zones, just like Jesus who really did get out. We just have to get out of our comfort zone. He had to get out of heaven. So many of us are drowning in the small ambitions of our lives, me included, with no other greater goal than just get something on our resume, a little bit of success and some comfort. Jesus says, you want ultimate joy? Get out and make a difference. I'll close with this. Gary Haugen is founder of International Justice Mission, a Christian organization that helps get people out of sex trafficking and other forms of injustice. And some of you know him. And, um, and, and he's had amazing adventures all over the world, confronting criminals, getting people out of all kinds of uh, difficulties. And in one place, he writes about kind of his early experience. And he says this, I vividly remember when I had to make the decision to abandon my career at the Justice Department to become the first employee of a nonprofit that did not yet exist. He said, I was very excited about this dream, in theory. But when I had to actually walk into my boss's office and turn in my badge, I decided to be very brave. That is, I walked in and asked for a one-year leave of absence. He said no. I was suddenly very nervous. As I thought about it, what I really feared was humiliation. What if it didn't work? Having told everybody about my great idea, they'd know that it was a bad idea or that I was a bad leader. So there it was. 
my boundary of fear. What's your boundary of fear? He goes on, he says, I sense God inviting me to an extraordinary adventure, but deep inside I was afraid of looking like a fool and a loser. But seeing it helped me get past it. When I'm older, do I really want to look back and say, yeah, I I sense God calling me to rescue people who desperately need it, but I was afraid of getting embarrassed, so I never even tried. We went on to found IJM. And for those of you who have met Gary, as I have been privileged to do on multiple occasions, you know that he is winsome and winning and incredibly free from the smaller anxieties that sometimes plague me and maybe sometimes you too. Now, you don't have to start a nonprofit, right? But, but which of those four roads to joy maybe do you want to work on this week? Like, maybe it's to glorify God more so that other things don't kind of control you. Maybe it's to be more set apart, sanctified for your specific use. Maybe it's more community. Maybe it's kind of more participation in what he's doing. Ask Jesus to help you with one of those and ask Jesus to help you see the opportunities you have just in your daily life to bring a little bit of up there down here. Maybe volunteering to to tutor or to coach. Maybe it's just simply going to the same clerk at the checkout stand in the store, same clerk week after week, day after day to get to know them a little bit so that you know how to pray for them and bless them a little bit like what my friend and I did at the tap house. Because here's the deal. The Father, Son, and Spirit are moving through this world on a quest together to find lonely people and make them part of his family, to make this earth look a little bit more like his heaven. And what Jesus basically says in this prayer is, Father, Father, this great thing we got going here, this, this closeness, this amazing adventure we're on together, Father, I got an idea. Let's let them in on it. So that's the invitation. And as I said last week, what's your RSVP going to say? So Jesus, thank you very much that you invite us into this. And we pray that you would help us in those four roads that you laid out in your prayer. Help us to glorify you more, make you more known. Lord, help us to step into our purposes that you designed us for. Make us a community. And Lord, we pray that you give us eyes to see how we can participate in what you're doing in this world. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.